Welcome to Finish Lines and Milestones with Allie Brettnacher. Incredible stories and tales of triumphs with everyday people achieving their goals in fitness. This podcast brought to you by Athlete Bouquets. Celebrate finish lines and milestones of the people that you love by visiting athletebouquets.com. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Finish Lines and Milestones podcast. I am Allie Brettnacher. And today I am joined by my first remote guest, Margaret Winnegar. Margaret and I met in a different season of life when we were both in software sales and we met at a conference out in Park City, Utah that Margaret was actually putting on. And we've met, I think, one other time in person. She was here in Indianapolis and I'm hoping to get her back here next year, perhaps for the mini. But during this episode, I talked to Margaret about her business, Rising Tide, And we talk about kind of rejoining the world of being an athlete after motherhood and the struggles that come along with that. We talk about her journey of being a college athlete, uh, a triathlete, and a lot more. So I am really pleased that all the technology worked out just great. And now I feel confident that I can interview more remote guests. So first of many, I hope. And I certainly hope that you enjoy this conversation with Margaret. We're doing it. Welcome to the podcast, Margaret. Hi. <laughs> and you're my first remote guest, but I can I'm see so you honored. at least. So that helps. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. It's going to be great. And where are you from, Margaret? I am here in Atlanta, Georgia. Hot Atlanta. It's down here. I bet. First, before I forget, huge milestone that I want to congratulate you on. Oh. hundred episodes. Thank of you. Rising Tide podcast. It's so poetic that today is the day we're recording and it's the day that the hundredth episode came out and you were one of the wonderful women who early on said yes to me and gosh, yeah, it has been such a gift and I just, I'm blown away at what it, at what it's becoming. Oh, it's so cool. I absolutely mm-hmm. am inspired by you in listening to your podcast I haven't, I've been there from the beginning, but I haven't listened to all 100 episodes, but I, I, you were saying how it felt like that milestone was so far away when you first started, because I am feeling that I'm like, how will I ever have a hundredth episode? Will I ever have a hundredth episode? I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Isn't that the thing? It's like, I, I, and I, I, I genuinely was peaceful about not hitting it too. I think that was the other thing. It's like, if I get there and great. But if I don't, then I'm going to trust that it, that was not, you know, like that was just an arbitrary number in the future. It wasn't, you know, some higher purpose behind it. Right. Right. So tell people what rising tide podcast is about real quick. And we could talk about that for the entire episode, but that's not what we're doing today. No. And I am so excited for today because it has been such a gift to kind of reflect on a side of myself that, felt like I lost for a little bit. And so the, the podcast, let me, I'll answer that first is, um, rising tide is a podcast that features career driven women and it tells the story behind their careers. And the reason it's called rising tide is I wanted it to be where both those listening to the podcast could come and be inspired and draw inspiration and courage from the women that they were listening to. And they could connect with the story But then the women who were being interviewed would also have an opportunity to reflect on all that they had learned and accomplished up until that point and 
really kind of sit in that for an hour while we talked. And so collectively through the experience, both would rise, both would be elevated from it. So it's been wonderful. And the beautiful byproduct that I didn't expect is that it's turned into a set of research and data that Mm -hmm. there's very distinct patterns now that have emerged through these conversations of uh, journeys that these women have gone on, steps they've taken to make, you know, meaningful changes and, and intentional habits that they've practiced to live aligned and successful careers. So it's been, it's been great. Well, I, I cannot wait to see what the future holds for you and rising you. tide and you're dreaming big. I'm here for it. So big. You know, I'm your, you know, I'm cheering you on. <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. That's the best part about all this, right? It's like we, you kind of build this community of incredible women that you're locking arms with and rooting Mm -hmm. for each other. And it's so powerful. Amen. I was listening to the hundredth episode this morning, actually. Mm -hmm. And I love that you had Chandra on. Yeah. Um, And one of the things she said that I love is that one of your many superpowers is that you help people feel seen Mm. and you're really freaking good at interviewing and asking questions and digging in. And so I'm like, okay, for this interview, I'm going to channel my Margaret and I'm going to do my best to do that. But I am, you know, I'm real early now. We're like less than 10 episodes in. So, but You're great. I, I'm You're ready. a natural. Oh yes. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Although not really a natural, you come from a sales background and your job was to ask people questions and uncover true. information. So yeah, that's you know? true. That is true. Yeah. I, well, I also liked how you said that you initially refused to interview people you didn't know very well because I'm having, I did my last guest, Alex, I don't, I didn't know super well, but I did have a chance to meet him a couple of times before interviewing him. So I felt more comfortable, but yeah, I'm getting people sending me people to have on and I'm so excited, but I'm also like, Ooh, okay. Well, that's entirely different because I don't, I don't know that I really have to dig and tell a story and figure that out. And I know that I'll be able to, but it is a little bit more nerve wracking for me. Certainly. It really, it really is. But, you know, I think that's the beauty of this whole getting started and then, you know, and then it doesn't seem like as big of a step to make that iteration. And I think that's, that was one of the biggest things I learned from the women on the podcast you included is like, there's something so powerful about just taking the first step. Mm -hmm. And then the next best step. And, and then, you know, before, you know, you've, you've covered so much ground. I mean, the, the metaphor here for running is so I know. I'm, too, right? <laughs> I'm like loving <laughs> all of it. It's so perfect. I actually, so I want to start, I want to start with running. I want to start with flying pig and I want to hear all about it. And then we'll backtrack and we'll talk more about kind of your life before, but I know that, well, I don't know, but people listening who are runners maybe have seen video footage from Flying Pig. And if you haven't, go look, just Google Flying Pig 2023, and you will see videos of people running through rivers. So I, Mm -hmm. what made you decide after kids and everything, this was the time to train again? Yeah. So every, so I, I have three kids. And somehow along the way, flying pig became my return to athlete race. And so every year after I had a kid, I would go and do the flying pig half just to 
it was like my way of saying like, you're still, you're still an athlete. You, you are still this person that you were before kids. And I had my third in 2021. So still kind of in the midst of pandemic, I had just left my corporate career. I was so lost. And then the next couple of years have been extremely intensive growth years, personally, professionally trying to do rising tide, figuring out how it will work as a business. And then just having three kids under the age of five at the time. And so uh, I had talked to my sister, she lives in Cincinnati and I said, we had talked about doing the race and at Christmas, she said, you know what? I want to give you this as a gift. Like, what if I buy your race entry and that's my gift to you? And I said, yes. And because it's like, yeah, yeah, yes, let's, let's do it. Let's anchor to that. And then wouldn't you just know, I mean, I would say this is from July until probably April were some of the most intense like months in my life and just like very stressful, high anxiety. And even though exercise is an outlet for me, I had so many days where like I could barely get out and just walk. And that is so not, that's just not who I am. And I just, and even then it was, I think I only was able to run three days a week training for this, which to me is it's just, it was enough to get me through the race. It was certainly not what I was used to doing. And it would, this time, this race going up there, it took so much more courage than any event I've ever done before, because I had never been legitimately scared. I couldn't finish because I knew I, I just didn't, I, I just didn't know what my body was going to do. Cause I had not trained the way I had trained before. And so, and then yeah, I was gonna say, and then did Joke you look at what did, jokes. <laughs> and then you looked at the weather. And then we saw the weather. And I remember driving down with my sister. It was 5:30 in the morning, and just the sky is lighting up with lightning. And we're both like, okay. And she was still at the time thinking about running, but she wasn't sure. She actually had not trained at all. And so she was really on the fence, but she came down with me. And we got down there and there was, you know, of course, right. It was like this window from like six to race start time where it was, there was no rain. Mm-hmm. There was no lightning or thunder. And we're like, okay, maybe we're going to be okay. And I kid you not, I'm walking up <laughs> to the starting line. Whoosh, the sky just starts to open up. And I, had, and I knew for me personally, I was like, I did not drive up from Atlanta. I did not tell everyone that this was this milestone race to walk away without finishing. I am going to finish this race. And so I started first four and a half miles were severe thunderstorms, pouring rain, lightning everywhere. And I was laughing. I mean, (laughs) I thought it was, I was in like my la la land, like kind of thinking this is so unbelievably ridiculous. And of course these would be the circumstances. I'd never, I mean, I've done 50 plus endurance events. I've never had conditions like so bad but it was like you know all these other people were right there with you so it's like we're we're all here we're we're all doing it like it's almost that like social uh not even pressure but just like that support of like look we're all we're all doing it and then just after mile four and a half there was some person who I'm sure thought they were being a good Samaritan who looked like he was on the race team saying get off the course it's shelter in place the race has been paused 
And he must have pulled hundreds of us off the road. And I stopped for 10 minutes and I've never stopped in a race before. Yeah. And I remember I was so in reflecting on it. One, I was really pissed afterwards because like I realized that he wasn't actually really. Yeah. And that was really upsetting because it's like, I know you think you're doing a good thing, but like that sucks. Like that sucks that you did that. Um, but then also I was really grateful because it was almost like I'd been practicing the art of surrender (laughs) for the last two years and just not understanding certain things, but giving in and just Mm -hmm. accepting what was outside of my control. And, uh, so 10 minutes later we started running again. And I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say like, my legs are okay, but my pace was gone. Yeah. It was right before the Hills. If you've ever done the pig, like right about mile six, you start going up for the next two and a half miles. And, um, the race stopped being fun and it started being more about, can I like one mile, one mile, mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. um, but I finished. Hell yeah, you did. I was really glad. And, uh, it, you know, I think it served its purpose, which was I wanted to do it again. Maybe not that one, <laughs> maybe not those weather conditions, <laughs> but come I, to Indy, I, come to Indy next May. I, I know yeah. it's, it's on my, I actually, you've got me hooked now. Uh, but it's, I think that's one of those things where like, it served the purpose of like it, I, I reconnected to that piece of myself. Mm-hmm. That I yeah. I saw a lot of people saying on social media that they had stopped for the race. So there was never any like that, you know, of official pulling people off. No, they had right as the race was starting, they were making, the. I mean, they had to, I mean, I'm sure they must've checked all their insurance because they were saying like, run at your own peril, like use your best judgment. There was, mm-hmm. uh, they had posted on social media, a shelter in place, but it was optional, right? It was not a mandatory shelter in place. Oh. And I think that's why a lot of people were getting off the road was because a shelter in place was put into a. F- yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and of all the places, you know, it's like, I was in between the high rises by the time I went uh, like, but like, I literally was running across the Ohio river when the shelter in place went into effect. And you think about it, it's like, if a lightning bolt had hit that bridge, like we were toast. Mm. That was far more dangerous on that bridge than it was in the middle of high rise. So anyways, it was, it was definitely one of those really interesting ones where, cause I, I ran into people after the race who said they'd never stopped. Mm. So I think some people optionally stopped. Some of us were told to stop or made to believe that, you know, the race was needed to, yeah, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was run at your own, you know, don't be a dumbass basically. Right. Yeah. Try not to get struck by lightning. I have only, I've actually run in conditions like that. Not quite. I don't know. It rained a lot. I had, I did the indie women's half two years where it was just like unbelievable, like laughable. Um, and they, one year black flagged it and like, they were like, the race is over. Like Mm. everyone, like all the volunteers were packing up. The cops were no longer directing traffic, but I'm like with a few other women, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't come downtown to not run a half marathon. So I don't really even know where to go, but I'm just going to run around. So did that. And then another year they like, I don't remember if it it was officially black flag, but it was similar weather. It was just like ridiculous. Cause you're just like soaked to the bone. Yeah. And you know, it's almost like I don't know. I'd rather run in the rain than in like severe heat. Yes. My body doesn't do well in heat, but like 
there comes a point too where it's like okay this is a lot of water (laughs) but can it rain any harder can it rain any any harder yes and I (laughs) And I remember thinking too, because when I was standing there not knowing, it was like, oh, like there was a moment where I was like, I, it may not be my choice whether or not I get to finish this. Right. Race. And that's so frustrating. Did you, um, how do people know to like start, do some people just say, screw it, I'm going to go again. And people kind of just started going back onto the course or. It was, well, for certain, the guy got off the road. That was one thing. And then the weather let up. So okay. I mean, it's the, the big thing is the sky got a little lighter. It was still raining, but it wasn't downpour and the mm-hmm. lightning and thunder had kind of subsided. And so it was that combination of, it was like, okay, these, these conditions look favorable. The thing that, the thing that also sucked about it is now though, cause some people just never stopped, right? Some people just kept running. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I know why I stopped. I was like, you are a mother of three, right? Don't be a dumbass. Like if yeah. this is really as dangerous, like it's not, it's not worth it. Like I probably could have just been like, ah, screw you, you know? And I would have been yeah. safe. It would have been fine. Yeah. But, um, but anyways, you, you know, all the corrals behind me had caught up and I was starting with hundreds of people again. So you can yeah. imagine it's like the start yeah. of the race, right? Where you're bobbing and weaving yep. all that extra energy to go around people. And instead of you know, having found your space, you know, a couple miles in where you now you've got a little bit of open road to run. Yeah. So that was the other thing so too. Tough. Like, cool. So it's like, we started the race again. <laughs> oh, wolf. Yeah. I hate, st- I do not like stopping. I hate stopping. Yeah. Even like when I'm training, I just, I just, my legs yeah. get cold. It's just really hard yeah. to kind of get yeah. back in that groove. I've never done it. Yeah. That's tough. So that was, a, that was a new experience. <laughs> well, there you go. Check that off. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Experiences you don't want to have that you have now Experiences I'm good not having. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you crossed the finish line, were you emotional? Um, I don't, it's so weird. No, not really. Um, there was more just like, okay, all right, good. We're here. You know, like, cause honestly, um, the last <laughs> two miles, I was really concerned. Cause you know, they, they bomb you back down the hill into the city on mile 11, which okay. is super fun. But like, I wasn't trained the way I'm usually trained. Normally my last three miles, I, I kick it into gear and I can mm-hmm. go faster. Right. Not th- this one was in the danger. I had dropped my pace by 40 seconds on that mile. And I felt it like starting mile 12, I was like, Oh, I don't feel good. I feel nauseous. And I was genuinely like, can you make two more miles? And, you know, but that's, I think knowing your body and trusting, you know, it was like, pull the heart rate back down, yep. slow it up. Like you'll get there when you get there. Right. Nobody gives a shit except for you. And it's yeah. like, okay, just yeah. get it done. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it was there really wasn't anything to, it sounds bad to say, there really wasn't anything to celebrate, but it was like completion. We're good. We're mm. it's done. And um, yeah, it was almost a little anticlimactic because, you know, it was pouring, it started pouring rain again, right at the finish. And so nobody was sticking around. It was right. getting colder, uh-huh. the temperatures were dropping. And so like, you didn't quite get that after race kind of like just kind of basking Celebration. in it. Yeah. That's um, a bummer. But, you know, I mean, I think that's, I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of life right now. It's like, okay, great. And go next, next. And on to the next thing. Did you, so the race was on Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. Then you, you did you fly back the same day or did you stay no. at night? Okay, good. We good. stayed the night and then drove drove down on Monday. Okay, so, so you you drove drove to Atlanta. Drove, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not oh. too bad. It's like seven hours. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, we actually didn't meet this way, but a piece of Ohio is also in your heart because of our alma mater, Miami University. I know. So would you drive to and from school then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> Good old Oxford, Ohio. Yeah, it, it's because it's just from Atlanta. It's just straight up 75. It's like a one, just one shot. It's easy. There's, wow. no, there's no real turns <laughs> until you get to Cincinnati and then you, yeah. Crazy. Uh-huh. Well, what, and what year did you graduate? Remind me. 07. 07. And I was 08. So we were there. We were yeah. there. We crossed paths. We were, we were most definitely in the rec center together. Yeah, undoubtedly. I, I like, lived, lived there. there. Yeah. Well, you did. We so, both did. <laughs> um, yeah, for different reasons. You were a collegiate swimmer, which is nuts. So back up a little bit and tell us about kind of your upbringing. Were like sports involved? Was your family active? And then how did you end up swimming at Miami? Yeah. Oh, so many good, <laughs> good stories. My my grandfather, who was my hero growing up. So my grandparents lived with us till I was 10. And they were like, my parents both worked at IBM. They traveled a ton for work. And we, you know, they were always like long commutes into down to like, we lived out in the, in the suburbs of Atlanta and their commute into the city was at least 45 minutes one way. And, you know, this was back in the days where you went in every single day. So my grandparents they were the ones that would pick us up from school. They would take us to our activities. And so I spent a lot of time with them. And my grandfather had run track at Notre Dame. Oh. Yeah. So, and I just always idolized that about him. I was like, I'm like from a young age was like, I'm going to be a college athlete. And my mom had run high school track, but never ran past that. And so I did a bunch of sports as a kid and loved all of them. I did tennis and I did softball and volleyball and I got into swimming, doing summer swim team in Atlanta. And, and then I didn't start swimming competitively until I was 15. So, which is really late for swimming, really late. So, which kind of plays into how I ended up at Miami because I realized like I'm tall, but I'm not tall enough to play volleyball. Volleyball was my love. And I think if I'd lived down in California, I probably would have played beach volleyball and stayed with it. But like, I'm only five, nine and I love to hit. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew I wasn't tall enough to be a middle hitter or even an outside hitter at, at any D one school. And that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go D one. And so I picked swimming because I was like, well, I'm good at swimming too. And I have a lot more upside there than I do in volleyball. And so by the time I was getting ready to graduate though, like I was like this high potential, but I didn't have the times. And so I had, I was basically like going to different schools, essentially like begging them to let me walk on because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'd be like, I haven't done strength training. I haven't done doubles. Like, I know I can go fast. I just need you to take a chance on me. I'll work my butt off for you. And wouldn't you know, when I came to Miami, at the time, they don't do this anymore. My class was the last year that they let anybody walk onto the team. And so they were like, sure, wow. you can come onto the team. I mean, my class, I think we, there were like 20 of us. It was a huge freshman class. And um, 
you know, over half of them <laughs> stopped swimming before we graduated. But my, by the end of my freshman year, I had become, by my sophomore year, I was our top sprinter. But it was because I had just never been trained properly before. And I knew it. And I was so grateful. Phil Krause, he was the assistant coach and he was a sprint coach. And he took me under his wing. He invested a lot of time and energy with my technique. And yeah, it was amazing. So I really got to enjoy college because I really, like, I had my best performances in college. Like I peaked in college as opposed to a lot of, especially female swimmers, they kind of peak earlier and then college they're, you know, they're like just kind of plateaued. Yeah. So our experiences at Miami were just slightly different. Um, while I did go to the rec center a lot, I also went to the bars a lot because you can do that in Ohio at 18. And so I did. And I partied my face off. So how was it like, did you have practice twice a day, every day? Did you travel every single weekend for meets? Like what was the season for? I just don't know anything about that life. Yeah. Oh yes. That life, that chlorine life, the lick and sniff (laughs) perfume is what we like to call it. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the season swimming is winter season. Okay. So we would start dual meets usually in October. And so, yeah, normally in October through January, pretty much we would have, uh, every weekend we would either host a dual meet or we would be traveling and sometimes they'd be on Saturdays and sometimes they would be during the week, but mostly they were on the weekends. And then we had doubles every day during the week, except for one. And then on Saturdays, we basically did a double. We would do like a two hour workout and then we would do an hour strength and conditioning. So mm-hmm. Saturdays were just, you know, you didn't have classes so they could work you longer, but then doubles, you do two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Um, so that was, yeah, it was a lot, but I think, you know, for me, I, this was so interesting, right? When it was my identity. It was my confidence, you know, being, that's one of the things that stayed with me is like being physically strong is something that's really important to me because it, it does affect how I carry myself and how mm-hmm. I feel. And it's really important. I've realized like, that's just so important to hold on to. So at the time I was so happy because it's like one, I was seeing, I was seeing the payoff of my hard work. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, you know, you get really close to the people that you're with. Yeah. I can only imagine, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. I mean, and and Saturday nights, like swimmers, if you've ever gone out with swimmers, they let it rip. They basically stock up the entire week of partying for, (laughs) 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 so we would always, we would always tear it down on a Saturday night. (laughs) We definitely would go out. Most people, you only usually go dry uh, where you don't drink during like taper when you're kind of prepping for the championships, but otherwise, wow, okay. Otherwise still had some fun. You still have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so gosh, good for you for being a college athlete. That's so cool. I really never, I didn't, I don't know. I never really tried hard enough to do that. And I don't know for whatever reason, maybe because my family was never collegiate sports. Maybe it just wasn't on my radar that it was something I could achieve if I wanted to, Mm, but like thinking, you know, I'm like, man, what could I have done now that I'm like challenging my body again? I'm like, what could I have done back then? Well, we will never know, but you know, now I'm kind of in that rhythm again, where I'm trying to prove to myself that I can 
still be an athlete. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, you're having the flying pig is that like, okay, after this kid, I can still do this, still got it. So talk about how after college, like you mentioned, like redefining your relationship with exercise, with fitness, because clearly, you know, after that, how do you move on from like having that sense of purpose and identity to not? It's really hard. It's really hard. Like, I think that was, that was one of the hardest things is like, I, the one thing I knew I loved was swimming and, and let me be more specific. I loved racing. I don't love swimming. I, I yeah. cannot put me in a pool to train. I will not do it, but I love to rip it. Like get me on a block and let me race. And so I was willing to do the training to have that. And when it was over, like I, I was so lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do for work. I, I still don't feel like, I feel like I'm just now maybe starting to feel it again, that mm. feeling of like mm. where I belong, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And just that sense of joy in the work that I was doing. Like, I just, that was one of the things it's like, I just couldn't find it again. And even some of that camaraderie that you have with your team, right. because you spend so much time with them. And so afterwards it was, uh, it was tough because it was trying, like, that was my identity. So then who was I when I wasn't a swimmer and it ended up working. I, that's, I ended up getting into what would become my career for the next decade because of swimming. So I ended up, I got to mm. kind of keep pulse on it by going out. I moved out to San Diego and I got a job at active network and I was selling software oh. to swim clubs. There you go. And so I, you know, it was super fun because I was selling to swim coaches because I thought about being a coach at one point, um, but the lifestyle was terrible. And so I was getting to talk to coaches. I was getting to go to conferences that all, you know, it was all about swimming. And so I got to stay in the world for the, you know, the next few years while I got into software sales and finding that I really enjoyed that and leadership. And then the company I was at, if you have ever heard of active.com, like it was the, at the time it was the destination to go to find endurance events. Mm. And so as a company, it was amazing as an athlete because we had, they called it active X and they had this whole program. I got super into triathlons. And so it worked that I could kind of channel my athlete into, you know, we got really sucked into triathlons and found an athletic community in San Diego. That was amazing. So, but yeah. And then we moved to Atlanta to start a family and that was really, that was kind of like, that's, it's been the last decade has been really interesting of like redefining my relationship with exercise. And even I think during the pandemic, like I really, mm-hmm. it used to be about bests. It used to be about racing and yeah. what I just have had again, to surrender to is one, like, I think one of the downsides of being a college athlete is you'll never be as good of an athlete. Like you'll never be as good of an athlete as you were before. Like you're kind of always chasing second best, which is okay. Um, that's why you kind of do things in other arenas. Yeah. And it's also like, I, I've kind of come to realize like exercise is about release. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the strongest. It's not about competing. It's just about like, that makes me feel better. And I physically feel strong. So like my motivators have evolved and why I do it, but it's been, I mean, 
what is that almost 20 years <laughs> you know it's been a yeah. really a long journey to kind of coming to peace with what you know how how do I identify with exercise and even the fact that I'll consider walking calling it exercise like that's a big right. for me which sounds so snarky and I don't mean it to it's just you know like I really had to grow up in that way mm-hmm. of like recognizing that like doing something is better than nothing yeah I can't I mean people who are listening to this relate to that it doesn't sound snarky to me because I relate to that I used to like not run less than four miles because right. it wasn't worth my time. Right. Yes. And then you have babies and you're like, if I can walk my ass around the block, I am thrilled. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't yeah. that the thing? It's like figuring out, like you don't have the luxury of time, you know, mm-hmm. you're training for the flying pig. It's like, okay. I, I mean, there was one morning I got up at six and I went or I, I think I started running at 6 30 because I wanted the sun to be up but you know it's like how can I get a run in before the day gets going because you know with three littles it's on the weekend you know disappearing for an hour and a half is kind of a lot to put on yeah. you know totally. on the hops. so mm-hmm. yeah so a lot you know so I was even like planning around schedules and but I think that was the other thing too it's like you know it get that that gets easier kind of letting go of things being on my timeline and just instead looking opportunistically for yep hey where can i get it in and then just being not being merciless if it if it doesn't happen that day right. other things just were more important and that's okay that is okay i want to go back to san diego and triathlons mm. so is that <laughs> i'm assuming then when you worked at active.com that is when you got into triathlons yeah. So tell me about that. Cause you're an Ironman, which I'm just in awe of. I don't know that I'll ever do a full Ironman. I don't even know if I'll ever do a half Ironman. I'm a shitty ass swimmer. I would drown. I've done short triathlons. Okay. Like sprint. <laughs> and I like hang hung on to the buoys that they let you hang on anyway, but I survived. So tell me, tell me about triathlons. Oh my gosh. They were, yeah, they were so fun. So the nice thing was swimming was the thing most people were afraid of. And Mm -hmm. so my husband and I were both super into it and he got really into open water swimming while we were on San Diego. And it was just almost not fair because he basically could just like ride the coattails of his collegiate swimming, uh, conditioning for the next like 10 years and just Mm crush everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, it was great. Cause like the water wasn't intimidating at all. So that was really helpful. And people were always like, oh, you have such an advantage. And you're like, are you serious? It's literally the shortest part of a triathlon. Yeah. Zero advantage to be a great swimmer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was really fun and it happened. So it was such a social thing for us. Like, you know, it's, I remember there was a time where we were doing events at least once a month. I didn't even, I remember one time we signed up for a half Ironman, like three months before we were like, yeah, we're already in shape. Why not? We'll just ramp mm. up training a little bit. It'll be great. <laughs> you know, the how, thing, long, how long does that typically uh, take? Oh gosh. I'm trying to think. I mean, it depends on the base that you're starting with. I feel like I should ask Luke. Sure. Luke was like, yeah. Three months for a half marathon is more than enough to go from couch to finish line. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine it's, it's probably a little bit longer for a half Ironman, but again, right. It's like, I didn't want to just go do it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I, I found like, I was a really good 
I found out I was a really good hill runner because I was mm. strong, strong legs and I was good on hills. I found out I was, I was good after the bike. I sucked at cycling. I, I just don't like bikes. <laughs> yeah. I can do my Peloton. That's about it. Yeah. I'd be into that. But yeah, so it was great. I mean, I loved it. And I wanted, when I decided to do the Ironman, there were a couple things. One is that I was, one of the nice things about active is that like it was part of our benefits. Like you could sign up for an Ironman and have it covered because a race injury to an Ironman, like at the time it was like 500 bucks. It was wow. like, yeah, that's great. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, if I'm ever going to do it, mm-hmm. that would be it. And I, I loved the half Ironman distance, like that high at the end of those races was, oof. I mean, oh my gosh, by far the best of all the races for me personally. So the full was like, I was a pure sprinter in college, like pure sprinter. I had no endurance. And so I kind of wanted to be like, well, this feels like the antithesis of what I was. So maybe let me see if I can do it. And, um, it was a grind. There was not a lot of joy in the training. When I went out, I did it in Wisconsin, which is an amazing Mm. Ironman course. The people are unreal. And I had, I think it was like 13 people there supporting me. It was incredible. My family had come. My college roommate was there getting her PhD at the university of Wisconsin. So she was there. I mean, it was amazing. And, uh, we had like swim was fine. The bike, I mistimed my fuel and I bonked at mile a hundred. And how, for people who don't know the distances, what's the full, yeah. what's the distance? for? So, okay. Let me make sure I get this right. So the swim is 2.4 miles, which again, in the spectrum of the race, it's like nothing. The bike, I think it was, or not, yeah, the bike's 112. Is that right? I think so. And then the, the run is a marathon. 26.2. And I had never run a marathon before. <laughs> <laughs> Just tack it on the end. So I had, I had bonked, you know, so much of these endurance yeah. events, your fuel, like mm-hmm. managing your fuel. And so I had mistimed when I ate. And so I felt it at a mile a hundred and I still had a little ways to go. And so by the time I got into the transition, I was just felt terrible. My body was heavy. I was crying because I knew I still had a whole freaking marathon to go run. And so there's a picture I sent it to yeah. you. There's a picture where you look at it and you, th- it kind of looks like I'm smiling and I'm talking to my husband. Cause he was such a beautiful Sherpa that whole day he was there and I'm yelling at him saying, don't make me go. Don't make me go. And again, in the spirit of take one step and then another, he was just like, just get started. Just, you know, you're going to be fine. Just, just get started. And so I did. And then a few miles in, my legs started to come back and then I never stopped. I ran the whole marathon and I think it was like 412 was my, I mean, it was like a decent marathon yeah. time, but it was such a powerful reminder of like, it was a dark moment. It was mm-hmm. a really dark moment, but it was like one foot in front of the next, just get started. So, and yeah, yeah. like that was one, when I crossed that finish line. I didn't feel any joy. I just felt relief. And I was just like, it's done. Like a 12 hour race. So much can go wrong. Yeah. At least that's the way I viewed it at the time. Right. So mm-hmm. much can go wrong. That tells you a lot about my mindset. And so <laughs> to finish, I was just like, okay, I can mark that off the list. Right. I'm an iron man. I think, I, I think I'm done. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think about marathon, like 
a standalone marathon, which you've never not done yet. I don't know if you will. No, I don't know no? if I will. I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to say no, but yeah, it would have uh, to be something significant to make me do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just think about just in a marathon, even a half marathon, like it's just a roller coaster. Yeah. Like there are times when you feel great and you're like, this is, I could do this forever. And then like the next mile you're like, oh shit, like how did, you know, how in the hell am I going to do this? And your mind just goes back and forth. At least that's how it is for me. And, you know, so kudos to your husband for being your cheerleader there and getting you to continue versus being like, yeah, if you need to stop, like, it's okay. No, it's like, no, go just do it. Is that how he was when you had a career transition, like from your career to doing what you're doing now? Like, had you talked about it with him for a while before you took the leap? Mm. And I'm like transitioning now kind of back into career, but I want to know about that part. So that's one thing. I'm so glad we're talking about him because Luke has known me better than I realized. I knew he knew me better than I knew myself for a long time. And my mistake was oftentimes ignoring him. Dude, I do the same thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so when it came to my career, he had been watching the pain for a long time. And he had seen me kind of, you know, metaphorically running into a brick wall for a long time. I mean, like it looked like I was ascending and I was, I was, you know, on paper, very successful, but at a very high cost. And And so when my position had gotten eliminated at my body, he was so supportive of just saying, yeah, like we're going to, we'll figure it out. And, you know, he was behind what I was doing. And I think with him, like, I really appreciate, you know, for me, I, there's a fine line with me of pushing me. So Mm -hmm. like, you can do this, just, just start versus like, pushing me being like, you better go get it. You can do, you know, like, I don't respond to that because I'm so unbelievably hard on myself. I don't need you to do that to me. Yeah. But I also don't respond to something like, you know, I've really, it's been a, it's been a, again, a huge growth area for people to like, to create space and compassion for me to be like, it's okay to just rest. It's okay to stop because I was so wired to never stop. You have to keep going next milestone, next milestone, next milestone. Like, Mm -hmm. I had a detox the last couple of years, like I, the corporate detox of not chasing something and finding my balance of like, sometimes you do need to actually stop. Sometimes like moving is the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you only figure that out when you actually kind of tune in to yourself. And so he was, he was oftentimes one of the first people to be really good at giving me permission to just either let something go, yeah, stop, you know, and you know, he just kind of stood by me as I fought him most of the time to be like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't stop. I can't, I can't not, you know, have something, you know, yeah. so he, he's always been a very grounding, calm, patient presence that was very needed to my high mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Which feels like, you know, when you look back at it and you're like, yes, I needed that so much, but like in the moment is so irritating. Well, even looking back is irritating. Cause you're like, oh, he was right. And that's really annoying. <laughs> and he's, you know, bless him. He is, 
he, yeah. he does not uh he makes sure to take full credit for the fact that he was right yeah yeah no zach will too he has, he has a little smugness about it yeah zach and i actually today is our nine-year wedding anniversary oh happy yeah anniversary. thanks yeah um we went to a natalie merchant concert last night which is nice. hysterical but it was a blast anyway i digress I'm trying to think about how to talk about becoming a mom. Like I want to weave that in here. And you told me that one of your, your baby number three was natural, which is insane. Oh my That's God. That's Margaret. So wait, let's. It was an accident. God, I know. Well, <laughs> I had gotten still... an epidural. Like I had gotten one and it wore it off. Work. It, it worked. And then it wore off. Yeah. And by the time we realized it had worn off, it was too late. Like it was, he Dear was God. there. And so, and I, I do, I mean, I was like that scene out of a movie where the wife's like telling her husband and to like, shut up and swearing at him. Like that yeah. happened. <laughs> God, I can't even imagine that. But did you guys, you moved from San Diego. Did you and Luke meet in college? Did you meet at Miami as swimmers? Met, so he swam at Auburn. Okay. And he did meet his swimmers. I had gone down. I spent a summer down there before my senior year and trained with their team for the mm-hmm. summer which was, I mean, at the time they were men and women were coming off of winning nationals. And so they were the top program in the country. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. And like, you know, his teammates, I mean, they have a wall in the Auburn's natatorium, which is natatorium just means the pool. (laughs) Thanks. For anyone who doesn't know. I actually have heard that word. (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, They have an entire wall dedicated to Olympians. Like that's how many Olympians come out of the program. So anyway, so he, so it was an incredible, that was such a, you know, I think that was one of the first times where I realized too, like I getting to go down there and train, I realized like, I love when I get to do things with people who are the best. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. really kind of where I am, where I'm I'm at my best. And I kind of gravitate towards if I'm going to do something I really want, you know, something I care about and I'm kind of driving towards. I want to do it with the best. And so I, it was such an incredible gift to have exposure to how they trained the technique and the feedback that you could get. I remember the, fr- I was so overtrained and I didn't know it because I'd never pushed myself that mm. far. Cause like at Auburn, like I was a bad trainer at Miami. And when I say bad trainer, like I just was slow in practice, like significantly slower than everybody else, but I could race. And so at Auburn, it was worse because everyone's kind of base pace was so much faster. So like you think about like, think about if you're running and like, you're like a nine minute training mile, but like you're running with eight thirty, you know, eight minute, 30 seconds. Like that's kind of what it was. So I was always running. I was never getting rest. I'd touch and go on the walls. Like I was never getting breaks, you know, cause everything's on an interval. Yeah. And so four weeks in, I remember I did a race and I, my arms were so heavy and it was so slow and my heart was racing and I got out of the pool and I was so embarrassed because I was getting crushed by high school kids and <laughs> it was so humiliating. And the, the distance coach, his name was Ralph. I wasn't even his athlete at Auburn. I wasn't, I mean, right. Like I was this visiting swimmer and then I wasn't even in his group. I was in the sprint group and he grabbed me and he goes, Margaret you are overtrained. Your body is too run down. I do not want to see you on the pool deck more than once a day for the next week. And he goes, and if I see you, I will kick you off of the deck. And I kind of laughed. He's like, I'm not kidding. I will kick you off. Do not come to practice more than once a day. And it was just, 
I don't know, like he didn't have to care, but he did. And it was everything like somebody who didn't have to care. I was nobody, right? Yeah. Like, who was I? And yet this man, this coach, like I was, if you were there training with the team, you were his athlete. It was so beautiful. That is I was really beautiful. Totally overtrained. So anyways, I, that was like a complete side tangent, but yeah, that's, that's how we we met and I saw him and I was just so I was like oh shit like I was there to train and build friendships and then of course like day one Luke walks into the room I'm like you know and he happened to have grown up swimming with one of my teammates at Miami so he came over and like was one of the first people I talked to and I'm like this is not gonna end well so it was an interesting dance that summer because I really wanted to be taken seriously and I didn't want people thinking I was you know I was there to hook up with other swimmers. Yeah. That happens. Swimcest is real, y'all. Swimcest. I've never heard that. That's funny. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I know. We were supposed to be talking about kids, but yeah. Well, no, uh, that's good. I didn't realize that's how you met. So that's pretty cool. And then, so then you, did you move out to San Diego together? Were you engaged at the time? Were you... We weren't. I moved out to work at Active. He was living in Panama City Beach, Florida. Oh boy. He was working as a civilian for the Navy. Um, and so yeah, that was tough. That was really tough on us because we were on opposite coasts and three hours apart. And I was living my best life. Like I was out in San Diego, I was around all these other like 20 somethings and, you know, we were having a great time and it, it was tough. It really tested us. Um, and in fact, we actually, we broke up. I remember we broke up in August of 2010 and he had signed up to come out to do a triathlon in San Diego. His sister lived out there. And cause I refused to talk to him. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't leave me alone. Like I don't want so I knew if I talked to him, I would go back to him. Right. It was like, mm-hmm. I don't want that. and, uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where I, like, I, I knew if we decided to get back together, it would be forever. Like I wasn't, you know, it was one of those. And, and I think so much of what had caused the pain in our relationship, like I genuinely believed like he was, he, he was like actively growing in those areas mm-hmm. and some of it was just the distance. And so when he came out, we had gotten back together that was September 11th. And then he came back two weeks later to San Diego because our song was September by Earth, Wind and Fire. Oh yeah. Um, hmm. So do you remember the, the 21st yeah. night? So he came back and he, he, it was a Tuesday night, but he came back to San Diego and proposed on September 21st. So, and then he moved wait. out, he moved out later. That's not- So wait, he proposed to you after you'd been brought, like, so you hadn't been together and he's like, I want you forever. That's I mean, we've so been cute. together at that point, we'd been together for four years, three years. I mean, we've been together a decent amount of time, but mm-hmm. a lot of it had been long distance. Right. That's so yeah, hard. Was, and I think we both knew like, if we're getting back together, we're, we're like, we're committed. It was basically like already saying, yes, I will marry you without actually being proposed to. That's yeah. how serious it felt to me. Yeah. yeah. And so now, um, we don't have a ton of time left, yeah. but I do want to hear about motherhood for you and maybe how you look at and view sports for your kids. So tell us how old all your kids are. You have three. So they're seven, five, and Kelly will be two next month. They're just starting to get into sports 
and not competitively, right? You know, seven is seven. like, <laughs> you know, seven is like, you're just starting to like soccer, like Luke was coaching and he's just starting to be able to teach the kids positions, right? Like mm. starting to kind of get it there. But yeah, one of those things were like, I want to be active with my kids. Yeah. Um, so like, I think one of the things I found is, um, you know, I think taking some of the pressure off of like, I, I don't think I've, I still haven't quite found the balance of training for something yet, because I do think that's really hard where I feel like I, I need to be able to focus energy there or else I'll become resentful. Mm. And so I was able to do that for the flying pig, but I've realized I'm like, I probably can't do that more than like once a year right now. Right. You know, with everything else going on in life, like I would just end up being resentful and bitter. And that doesn't, that doesn't benefit anybody. And I don't no. need it. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm perfectly content in other areas, but I do want, you know, I do know I want something to train for again next year. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we've started, it got really fun. Bodhi about five, he could start riding his bike. And so we live about a mile and a half from a Dunkin' Donuts. And so we oh. would, I would run and he would ride his bike. And we would go down to Duncan and get a donut, sit down and eat. And then we would run home. And again, it wasn't like a, a training run, right? And half the time he would have to walk up the hills because he wasn't strong enough to get up them yet. Mm -hmm. But it was like a nice way to get out and be active with them. And so I think that's been, that's been a big thing for me is wanting to stay healthy enough that I can do things like that with them. Yep. Run with them and, and run. Cause now he's starting to get into running. So like this year, um, our, his school is about a mile and a half away. And so he had, you know, when I was training for the pig, he was like, Hey, can we run home? Oh yeah. And so I would do like a four mile loop and then I would, you know, end at the school and then we would, you know, air quotes run. Yes, I understand. Home. Yep. <laughs> um, so it's like that kind of thing. So anyway, so like, yeah. I think that's, they're starting to get, we're getting out of that tough toddler baby stage where yeah. you don't feel good. I think some of it too, like my core is just, I mean, wow, that thing just is so weak after three kids. It's just, yeah. it, I'm just, you know, but I've, I've kind of come to like, just be grateful that I am getting to go work out or grateful that, that I'm doing mm -hmm. that and, uh, and really not comparing myself to anybody else. Cause I mean, I think sometimes I see some of these moms that are in like crazy great shape and it's, it's tempting mm -hmm. to be like, well, if they're doing it, maybe I should. And where I have to remind myself, this is so much of what I talk about with rising tide. It's like, I have to remember what is, what my priorities are. Yep. And my priorities are my family and career and my fitness kind of comes third. And yeah. so because it goes in that order, I have to be somewhat peaceful of like, I probably could be in really great shape if that was my number one priority. Right. But I, I have intentionally chosen not to make it that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've got enough fulfillment from the past that I, I can kind of ride that until the kids get a little older. Cause I mean the pig this weekend, I was like, Oh, that competitor is very much still there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that I will, you know, run a race to race again. But, you know, I think that took me a long time again to just surrender mm. stop fighting. Yeah. To, like, it takes a lot of energy to fight too. It takes a lot. It's just, it's not a way to live. Like mm -hmm. I was so I was so agitated by it. And then I'd be so, I beat myself up and, you know, get so annoyed. And I, I remember when I finally started allowing like mental fatigue yeah, to like play a part in my physical fatigue. Mm. 
because there was a long time there where I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I going so, why am I going so slow? And there was a period where I had to stop running with the watch because I just, I would get so agitated. And so now it's, you know, it's more like, I'm, I'm just much more aware of like, okay, like if I run in the afternoon and it's been a high, like high stress day, like my, the run's probably going to feel kind of rough, but it'll get Mm -hmm. done, but you know, it's not going to be pretty. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just means my energy is a little bit more tapped than it was. I do think kids have been so great. And I've just, you know, I'm looking at the bigger picture now. I'm not so Mm -hmm. focused. Yep. So yeah, it's been, it's still an area I'm growing, but I've definitely, I I, like, (laughs) I've come a long way from where I used to be. So, and a lot more compassion. And I think respect for people too. I think having that fear of, can I finish this race? Like, I think I finally, like, it just made me admire so many people who I'd known in the past who had felt that way and had shown mm-hmm. up scared and did it. Like, to me, that's so much more of an accomplishment than being athletic and kind of showing up and going fast. Like, you know, it's like doing something when it scares the crap out of you and you're really not sure how it's going to go. Like, that takes so much more courage. So much courage. I love um, with having a five year old, and you can appreciate this too, having one yourself you know, the whole concept of explain it to me like I'm five, right? Because now I understand. Like before I'm like, oh yeah, explain it to a little kid. But like at five years old, these questions, my God, it is hard to explain things. But um, one of the things that I've explained to Sydney that I love continuing to explain to her is what bravery is, Mm. right? It's like being brave means that you're afraid or you're scared or you're nervous and then you do it anyway. And it's just having her be like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, okay, I get it. I get what that is. Like, that's just one of those, you know, there's so many of those little moments with kids. I know our five-year-old Dylan, like going down the hills on her bike, she was so scared. And I said, we're going to practice bravery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Practice bravery. I, I know this scares you and we're going to practice it because the way that things don't scare us is we, we do them. And so, but yeah, I do. I love that you have that conversation because I do think that's one thing I want to pass on, mm-hmm. yes, especially to, to Dylan as our daughter. Like I want her to have that kind of ingrained in her early. Yeah. Same. Don't we all? Cause it's just such a hard world to bring little girls into. So uh, as I do, I wrap up the podcast with mm-hmm. a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. The first one, your podcast, and I, you didn't know, I should know. Well, you're my favorite running buddy. So I should know. Well, you should know they're easy ish. So number one mantra, like a running mantra or like a song that like really gets you going or gets you through can be more than one. Yeah. Yeah. So the song that I love that has the last year, like when it comes on, I cry, but like good tears because it feels so symbolic of my life. <laughs> um, and then when you're running, it just, it all kind of comes out. Um, yeah. it's, it's called something's got to give. Oh, okay. Uh, I will, I'll send you, I can't remember who sings it, but it's like, it's got a really great melody and the lyrics just, you know, it's like when you're thinking about giving up, something's got to give, give a little more. Mm. And so, you know, I think that was, that just, 
that, that just kind of summed up so much of what my life has been this last year is like, something's got to give, like have faith, like mm-hmm. holding the faith. So that mm-hmm. that's like my, one of my favorite songs. And I mean, I think mantra wise, like there's, I just remember when I was sprinting, it was go. Like I would just say go over and over and over again. And so, you know, I think, I don't know when I, when I run, I don't really, I think my, I'm so, I listen to podcasts now. So my mind, let my mind kind of wander. Mm. I, I don't think I say anything, but yeah, when I was, when I was racing, it was like, there was just one word over and over and over again. Go. That's a good yeah. one. Very simple. Yeah. Very powerful. Just go. go. <laughs> it's not that just go. That's all you got to do. Um, <laughs> okay. And then the next and last question mm. is um, what is your next finish line or milestone? You just obviously celebrated a huge one today. Again, congratulations for the hundredth episode, but what's happening next? Mm, gosh, darn. There's like so many, that, that is just the ultimate question, isn't it? Cause there's so many, I love this about your podcast is like, that can mean so many things. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a two-year-old. That's a big milestone. Yeah. Like you're out yeah. of that. You're starting to get out of that baby phase. I know. I, know. I do think, I think one of it kind of already happened, but I think it's leaning into it is like, I am, there's, there's a twofer. So one is, I do think the, the Indy mini marathon is my next race milestone. Like I've kind of already decided that. So next year, I think that's kind of what I'm aiming for. And then as far as, especially with rising tide, you know, I've realized because of the podcast, it has, there's so much content that has come out of it. There's like so much, because I mentioned it was research, like these stories and it's kind of capturing this segment of women, you know, Gen X millennials, that it's a lot about normalizing what's already normal, but not talked about. And so I think my, my next milestone is, I think really uh, kind of stepping up onto bigger stages to try to get that information out. Yes. So important to me to have it and I want to get it out to as many people as possible. And so I think that's, that's kind of my, my next horizon is, you know, bigger and broader stages to continue sharing Mm -hmm. that information and connecting with more women and getting them, getting them information that can really kind of fuel them to operate in their highest selves. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Normalizing what's already normal. That's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. God, because yeah. Yes. There's so many things that we, we, we sit there and we're like, is that normal? Do other people think this? And there are things like, that are, yeah. there's the, you know, there could be shame around. We aren't, you know, it's awkward yeah. to talk about. And so, so much yeah. of it is like, let's just, let's just normalize this and like, and grounded in data and facts that like mm-hmm. you're not alone and actually congratulations this is super normal yeah yeah you're not special sorry right? <laughs> it's normal it's the opposite of am yeah. I the only one no you're you're literally like this is great you're mainstream yeah that's so, that's so funny well I don't know if you can hear my stomach growling through my microphone can you because it is so loud and I, I hope can't. that it doesn't but I know what you're having up. for lunch I already know my salad is ready to go um <laughs> The little things, right? Well, this has been so fun catching up with you as always. I always get so motivated and energized from conversations with you, especially as we brainstorm and dream about the future. But yeah, hopefully we can do this again. And hopefully you'll be in Indy next May. That would be a blast. Yeah. I would love to yeah, see there's, 
Yeah. There's some other things with Rising Tide we're working on for India and Maine next year. So okay. more to come on that. But yeah, I just thank you so much. Allie, this has been such a, I just need you to know this has been such a gift to have this time and even to, to get to be part of this because you've given me the gift of getting to reconnect with a piece of myself that is really important to me, but I had lost, you know, 10 years mm-hmm. and seven years of being a mother, like it kind of got buried. And so like, just having the space to kind of focus on this. Um, I really appreciate it because I don't get to do it very often and it just meant the world to me. So oh, thank you. Absolutely. Congrats again on flying pig. You're such a thank badass. You. <laughs> that was amazing in a hurricane. Oh my, my goodness. Oh, thank All you. Right. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening. Have a great weekend and happy running.